I took my mask off so people could see how happy I am to be here right now. So, today I'm going to start by sharing one of the most shocking discoveries of my life. And then we're going to look at God's Word, and we're going to trust in God's Spirit. And we're also going to welcome God's presence to do three things this morning. One is to help some people in this room avoid a spiritual disaster. Two, we want to help some people in this room overcome a barrier in their faith, maybe something they're struggling with. And three, we're trusting in God to show us a way we can all live in such a way that everyone in Stonewall comes to know Jesus and finds eternal life. And I'm talking everyone, our children, our neighbors, our coworkers, even our mother-in-laws, everyone. I remember when I first came to Stonewall, people asked, like, what's your plan? I said, well, the, the plan here is to uh, have every student put their faith in Christ and their parents and their teachers and then retire. And people laughed and it's like, can God not do this? Like 3,000 people are saved in one sermon in Pentecost. There's only 1,800 students in the schools at the time, you know, because I think God can. Can I get an amen? So let's start with a story. It's one of the most shocking discoveries of my life. Years ago, I meet this guy, kind of strange, and he loves listening to our stories for God's glory. Because you know me, I could probably talk the ears off a field of corn, right? And, and if I'm talking about how we're sharing the gospel at the drop-in, this guy just leans right in. You know, and if someone put their faith in Jesus at the drop-in, this guy's like, it's like his favorite team just scored the winning goal. He's just ecstatic. This guy was somehow fascinated and captivated by anything to do with the Great Commission. He loved sharing Jesus. He loved hearing about outreach, about our many missions, and it's like he could not get enough. So one winter, this guy, our friend, gets into an 18-wheeler truck with another guy. Two drivers. One sleeps, one drives, then one drives, one sleeps, whatever, however that works. It's my friend's turn to sleep. It's night a very cold night. And somewhere on the way to Toronto, another truck in the oncoming traffic decides that passing on a double yellow line is a good idea. And my friend's involved in a head-on collision, and it literally launches him through the window, the front of the truck, in his underwear, out onto the cold pavement. And people come and they rush to help him and he's lying pretty much naked on the cold highway, whatever's left of his underwear shredded. And they try to help him, but he refuses. He's like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm doing good. Just check on the other driver, he's new. You know, go check on the other truck, make sure they're okay. So let's hold the story right there. How a man dies can tell you a lot about how a man lives. This man on his death highway, freezing, 
put the needs of everyone there above his own need. It was like Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross and he's arranging, making arrangements for his mom. He's trying to save the guy and he does to his left or to his right. Like it's just incredible. Jesus is fulfilling the needs of those. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Like he's, you know, and we see that in Stephen and so many disciples and missionaries and martyrs over the centuries, people who die really well. And this man dies really well really well but here's where it gets really strange i'm curious like now this guy's kind of an anomaly to me so i start talking to people and then the stories start pouring in he was doing long distance hauling for fedex but unlike the other drivers when he hits toronto he doesn't just sit there he helps unload the truck more than that he starts getting to know the people's names and situations hey helen how's your dog doing Yo, Peter, did your son get into that university? He was meeting people. He was praying for people. He was helping people. In fact, he was so connected with so many people at FedEx, they had to bring special counselors in to help people deal with the loss of this one driver. That's the kind of light. That's the kind of love he brought into a workplace. I remember one lady sharing a story where her family needed significant financial help and a guy with a pickup, it's this pickup's falling apart. Like it's literally held together with scotch tape, duct tape, and probably a paper clip. And he pulls up on the, uh, to her driveway and just hands her an envelope with thousands of dollars in it and just leaves. You know? But stories like this poured in the more I asked. Countless families were helped in every way imaginable, whether it's finances, help to build stuff around their yard, vehicles, favors, rides, whatever. And at the graveside, I was struck as I was looking at this coffin. My mind was blown. We weren't just burying a man. We had all experienced something of Jesus. And because he never bragged about it, we never knew the half of it. I was shocked. My mind was blown. There was the light of Christ, the love of Christ, the presence of Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus, and the beautiful, magnificent, ah, incredible pattern of Jesus. There was something holy in our midst, something not of this world. And when I think of this man, I think of a verse. It's Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's Ephesians 2.10. You see, this guy's life was filled with good works and acts of charity. So let me ask you, what might this world look like if everyone who follows Jesus would live like that man? if they all esteemed others as more important than themselves, if, if every one of us devoted ourselves to serving others in love, what would the world look like? So let's look around the room here right now. Do you think there's people like him here in our midst? They're flying under the radar enough not to be noticed but they're impacting so many lives with good works and acts of charity. 
do you think there are people in this room like that? And I can say as a recipient, count on it. Two years ago, I was given a cancer diagnosis with, and they gave me three months to live two years ago. And make no mistake, I am honored to carry this disease for my family. If me carrying it means my wife and my children don't have to go through it, I am happy to do that. I praise the Lord for that privilege. I'm honored to carry this for my family. And I also thank God that we can turn every medical appointment into a mission trip. You know, there's going to be people in heaven because I got cancer and I'm totally fine with cancer as long as people are getting into heaven. But I'm still asking for miraculous healing. Don't get me wrong, I'm not a fool. But I kid you not, the diagnosis threw our family into a tailspin. But what do you think happened? In Stonewall, people we knew and people we did not know in this church came out of the woodwork and I've been blown away, impressed, humbled, inspired by the many ways our family has been served by the people here. I'm in the hospital. There's people building into the spiritual development of my children, youth group, worship nights, Bible nights, etc. Allison is visiting me in the hospital after surgery. Ladies are bringing our kids supper for our children. This is a place rich in good works. Make no mistake, my friends. You know, there's people here living Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2 verse 10. So what were the three things we wanted from God this morning? One, to help some people in this room avoid a spiritual disaster. Two, I want God to help some people overcome a barrier in their faith journey. And three, I'm trusting in God to show us a way to live in such a way that everyone in Stonewall puts their faith in Jesus Christ, that no one misses the eternal life, that no one misses the abundant life, but we can't do this. I can't do this, but God can do this in our midst. So let's bow our heads and just ask God. Father in heaven, Lord God, we cannot do anything apart from you, but you can do miracles, Father. You can bring everyone in Stonewall and every city and every town around us to Jesus Christ. You can bring them to that abundant life in this world and the eternal life in the next world, Lord God. So we're asking you to do a change, Lord God. Change what you need to in our hearts and our minds and our patterns and our lives to make this happen, Lord God. Speak to us through your word, Lord God. We're here, we're hungry, we're desiring you. Make yourself present, manifest, known. We want, we want the presence of Jesus here. We want the power of Jesus here and we want the pattern of Jesus here. So we welcome you into our midst. Beautiful, beautiful are you, Lord and Savior. We ask these things in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Before we can look at our key verse, we need to immerse ourselves in a little bit of truth. And I hope by taking a broader and deeper look, we can help people avoid disaster. I want you to look around the room like really look at the faces. 
Look up there, there's a bunch of beautiful people up there. You don't want to miss that. Up there, look down here, you might see some of us are balding at the top. I call that a bird's nest. You know, it's just uh, another way to serve God's creatures. Maybe I'm just taller than my hair. But look at the faces of the people here. These are miracles around you. Did you know the God that created these people also created everything in our universe? Stars, sunsets, sunrises, strawberries, how they taste, sounds, birds singing, ears to hear that and enjoy it. God created all these things. But with all the beautiful things and functional things and artistic things God created, above all these things, he created the people in this room uniquely. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. In all of creation, the people in this room are the only ones that get that distinction. The people in Stonewall, all the people on the planet and who've ever lived get that distinction. Created in God's image, verse 27 reiterates it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. People, don't miss this. Look at the faces. Everyone here is created in the image of God. How epic is that? To me, that's epic, but it's also scary. Because how I treat someone in this room is how I'm treating God. Jesus even says it in Matthew 25, how you treat the least of these is how you treat Jesus. That's high. And I want you to look at everyone here. Everyone here is an eternal being. Everyone here is an eternal soul. 500 years from now, everyone here will exist in one place or another, heaven or hell, 500 years from now, 1,000 years from now. All of our classmates, all of our coworkers, all of our neighbors, all of our children and our parents, everyone we've ever seen will be in either heaven or hell. And that brings us to our first problem. Although we're created in God's image with the ability to create, to love, and to serve others, we were also poisoned by this thing called sin. And this broader reality, every one of us needs to face, and we're gonna face it in the scriptures today, spiritual death. As humans, did you know that we're born spiritually dead? And our first inclination as humans is to sin, it's to selfishness, it's to materialism, it's to lust, it's to anger, it's to malice, it's to dishonesty. And if you don't believe me, become a parent. Wait till they're about two or three years old and just know that if they were bigger, they would kill you for that extra piece of birthday cake. I think God made them small so they can't kill us for birthday cake. And I think he made them cute so we don't kill them, you know. But that's the thing is, we're all born that way, just self-interested, greedy. In Ephesians, if we go verse 1 in Ephesians 2, right to the beginning, we'll make it to 10. It starts by saying, And you were dead in, tresp in, your in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. So he's talking to an audience, and everyone in that audience started dead in their trespasses and sins, spiritually dead. And I'll ask you a question, a really important question. Can a dead person help themselves? Absolutely not. A dead person cannot help themselves. And I'm going to shift, and I don't like changing versions of the scriptures. I like to stay in the ESV because I know this is a place where they use ESV for most of their scriptures. But I'm going to shift to the NLT version just for Romans 5, 6 to 8. It starts this way. It says, when we were utterly helpless. You know, spiritually dead, unable to help ourselves. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, dead in our sins, unable to help ourselves. So that's Paul's audience, dead in their transgressions, unable to help themselves. And then something incredible, unbelievable happens. We go to verse 4. They're dead in their transgressions, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. There's incredible things in our future. Make no mistake. And just, just, if there's anyone here who still thinks they can save themselves, let's read the next verses. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith or belief. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Jesus lives the perfect life because we cannot. Jesus pays our penalty on the cross because we can't. Jesus raises himself on the third day because we can't. His death brings us abundant life and eternal life. His righteousness and work on the cross gives us right standing with God. Our part in all this is simple but complex. It's faith. We need to believe to receive. Our faith needs to be in Jesus and not in any aspect of ourselves or others. And my question is this, have you done that? Have you come to the end of your striving and your effort to be good and just found a place to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Because that's what salvation looks like where I cannot save myself. So I ask, do you believe Jesus is God? Do you believe you're a sinner who cannot do anything to save themselves? 
Do you believe Jesus paid your penalty on the cross? Do you believe he rose from the dead? And has this led to you being born again? Have you had a supernatural encounter with Jesus Christ? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says something interesting. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Something supernatural happened. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I tell you and I beg you, if you're not sure you had a supernatural Jesus salvation moment, then talk to someone today. Talk to God, talk to Jesus. We've got great pastors, we've got wonderful missionaries and and committed elders in this church, okay? Talk to someone today. People here would love to explain the gospel to you. They'd love to pray with you and they'd love to help you along on your faith journey. They're committed to your salvation and they're committed to your spiritual growth. And more than that, God is committed to you and your spiritual journey. God is committed. He, more than us, wants to see you soundly saved and experience the riches of his goodness in this age and the next age. You see, Christianity is not something you do. It's something you are. You know, you're something new. It's you and Jesus and Jesus in you. I like to say it this way. When you do, it's you. When you just be, it's he. You're resting in the truth of Scripture that He did a supernatural work in your life and you are different. You are a child of God with a full inheritance because of what He did, because of some supernatural encounter. It's not me that lives, but Jesus that lives in me and through me. Those are the words you see in Scripture. John 15, 5 says it nicely. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. Whoever abides in Jesus and has Jesus abiding in them It is them that bear much fruit, for apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And brothers and sisters, when you find this place, that place of rest in Christ, where he's just living in you and through you, where you're abiding and he's abiding, things are going to flow naturally from your life. Like those things like love, peace, patience, kindness, it's not going to take a lot of effort. And suddenly the Bible is going to start making more sense. And you'll start getting more hungry for it, even parts of Leviticus. You know, some of those lineages you're thinking, father, child, father, child, you know, and and just the commitment of the parents. And all of a sudden, some of the scripture, you know, you know, some of the scriptures won't be work. And then prayer, you know, it could explode. You know, instead of being like this effort thing, it could be the greatest honor approaching the throne of mercy and grace or the deepest satisfaction spending time in God's presence. And, and, and good works and acts of charity will flow naturally from our lives for one reason, because of the presence of Jesus. Because I look at Jesus, does Jesus have good works? Oh man, in Jesus 10.32, Jesus is challenged on something and he, this is what Jesus says, I've shown you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you going to stone me? So he's claiming many good works. Does Jesus command us to have good works? Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I'll ask you this, were we created in Christ Jesus for good works? Well, that's today's verse, people. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Okay? 
we know what we are delivered from, sin, death, and destruction. But here we're starting to learn what we were delivered for. And this is one of those wonderful things, which God, good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I'll ask you this, do the people of God have good works? Acts 9.36 is where I'm looking. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Okay, means gazelle. Okay. She was full of good works and acts of charity. So I'll ask the question, would someone describe you in the same way? Would they be saying, oh, that's Allison. She's full of good works and charity. Would they describe me that way? I don't think so. Personally, I think I can grow in the area of good works and charity. I've got a lot of room to move. So if I'm a little light on the good works thing, I got to ask, what gives? You know, is there stuff blocking our good works? You know, and, and maybe we should just look through the scriptures to help us. Titus 1, 15 and 16 says, To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. You know, they profess to know God. See, that's one extreme. If I'm looking at Jesus as a one-and-done thing, like a vaccine, right, then I'm really not looking at Jesus at what he truly is. Jesus is the opportunity for a vibrant relationship with the God who created us. You know, and ask yourself, do you have a desire to know Jesus and be known by Jesus? That's a relational desire that husband and wife have, that friends have, that coworkers have, that saved and savior should have. If Jesus is simply my ticket to heaven, and not a living, loving God who is passionately pursuing our hearts and our minds and our lives in Christ, we may be missing the boat. He's calling us to relationship. And then he's showing us through his word what the fruit of that relationship looks like. If I'm seeing Jesus as a ticket to heaven, I need to repent. And I need to invite Jesus to a relationship where we're not ghosting him with our affections and we're not defiling our consciousness with sin. I'll tell you a simple truth I tell teens. You will become who you hang out with most. If you want to see how your kids are going to turn out, look at who they're hanging out with. And then I have to ask, are we hanging out with Jesus enough? Because if we hang out with Jesus a lot, we're going to be a lot like Jesus. We also need to ask, based on that scripture, do we really believe everything Jesus says with both our minds and our hearts and our souls? And my response is this, show me how a man lives and I'll tell you what he believes. How you spend your time and how you spend your money is the greatest indicator of what you believe about Jesus, the world, and eternity. But then I, ask, I have to ask God, what else could be blocking good works in my life? 2 Timothy 2.21 Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. 
But am I engaging in stuff that's dishonorable? Maybe there's stuff in my life, maybe there's stuff in my media choices that needs some cleansing. Because I want to be cleansed to be ready for every good work. You know, so that we can be set apart as holy, useful, and ready for every good work. And I know what you're thinking. Should these good works take a lot of effort? Well, you tell me. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. Look at the language, which God prepared beforehand tells me that he's planning these good works. He's arranging these works. He's making them happen. It kind of takes the pressure off us, which to me is a beautiful thing. And then there's a language that we should walk in them. Walking, it should come naturally, shouldn't it? Like walking shouldn't take a lot of effort, says the guy in a wheelchair. (laughs) You know, which is kind of strange. You know, so I'll say it like this. Works which God prepared beforehand that we should roll in them. Because rolling is coming pretty naturally. So yeah, it sounds like these works should flow naturally, and they do. But can we do something to accelerate the process, to increase the abundance and the effectiveness of the works in our lives? Okay. It says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. If I read that scripture, it sounds like we can invite Jesus into this area of our lives. We're inviting God's grace so that we can abound in every good work. Do we need more strategies? I think so. I'm a guy who likes strategies. Colossians 1, 9 to 11. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So it really sounds through that scripture that this is something we could be praying for ourselves and others. We're told that he didn't cease to pray for them so they are bearing fruit in every good work. What would happen if we prayed that for each other? if we prayed for our brothers and sisters, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And how would the congregation increase their knowledge of God? Would they spend more time with Jesus? Would they spend more time reading their Bible? Would they spend more time reading their Bible with Jesus? Because I can't imagine something better than reading the word of God with the God of the word. You know, you and him and him and you. But what else could be blocking my good works? 2 Thessalonians 2.16 says something interesting. Now may our Lord Christ himself and our God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Maybe your heart isn't comforted right now. Maybe things are too turbulent. Maybe turbulent in your marriage maybe turbulent in your parenting or your finances or your 
workplace. I don't know what you're carrying. But maybe if we invited the comfort and the peace of Jesus into whatever situation we're facing, maybe the good works might flow more naturally and more abundantly. You know? If we start looking at how foundational good works are to the life of a believer, we just need to search the scriptures. And I'm just going to go through some scriptures quickly here. 1 Timothy 2.10, But with what is proper for women to profess godliness with good works? 1 Timothy 5.10, Having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. You know, there we've got good works, bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing feet. That's got to be a good work, man. 1 Timothy 6.18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Well, obviously, being generous and ready to share is a good work. And here's another solid strategy to beef up the amount of good works and their impact in our community. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 to 17, all scriptures breathed by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God and the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. People, are we opening our Bibles enough? The more we open our Bibles, the more equipped we are for every good work. Titus 2.7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, etc. And it says, in all respects be a model of good works. Are we modeling good works to our children? Are we modeling good works to our spouse, to our community, to our co-workers? We need to be modeling these good works. Titus 2.14 who, about Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So I'll ask, are you zealous or passionate for good works? Like just excited, ready to dig in there. Titus 3.1, be ready for every good work. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Maybe we need to be more obedient to God or our bosses or the authorities that God places above us like parents. Maybe we need to be more obedient to be ready for every good work. So are we standing ready to do good works? Have we put time in our calendar and have we created margin in our finances? Because if we're too busy or we're too broke, we may limit ourselves in our ability to do good works for others. Maybe instead of buying the J wheels for my quad or something, I need to say, I'm going to set this money aside for good works. I don't know what they're going to look like, but God's going to decide. Titus 3.14, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Are we devoted to good works or are we unfruitful? Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and to good works. You know, like stirring that pot of soup or something, you know? And I'll put my hand up. I think Jesus is using this morning to stir me up 
to love and to good works. And I'm hoping he's stirring all of us up to love and good works. Because I want to fl- see God flood Stonewall with good works, so much so that everyone comes to know Jesus as their Savior, as their hope. Titus 3.8 says this, this, this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And I need to ask, how can good works be profitable and excellent for people? And to make a point, I'm going to share a crazy story. Years ago, I'm sitting in the drop-in, and the students are pouring in, And one student in particular grabs my attention. I don't know why. There's something in their words. There's something in their demeanor. And I can't figure it out, but I can't shake it. So I find a place to pray. And I felt that we should give the student some money. And I'm like, I'm a a greedy guy. Give this guy some money. Give the student some money. You know? So we did it. We didn't know why we're doing it. Here's an envelope. We feel God wants it to bless your family with some extra funds. We don't know why, but here you go. Student, they just leave after drop-in. We're cleaning up. And suddenly a car pulls up with a passion. Like driven aggressively. I don't know about if you heard the story of Jehu, the historical account in the scriptures. People could tell who was driving the chariot just by how it was driven. You know, and this lady was driving her car with a certain passion (laughs) my goodness and then she's marching towards me and i'll be honest with you i wasn't the best kid growing up i visited the principal's office many times and my fight or flight kicked in i just wanted to run away i i did something wrong and i knew she was going to tear a strip out of me She looks at us, cash in hand. Who did this? And the brave guy that I am, I blame Jesus. (laughs) I'd like to think Jesus did it. Because, you know, we can't take credit for anything he does, right, chicken? Okay. And her eyes filled with tears. Then she goes on to tell me, the single mom, that she looked this morning and noticed she had no money and no groceries. And she did not know what to do. So she tried prayer that morning that God would help her buy some groceries. And she looks at us and says, your money was an answer to my prayer this morning. You see, we're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. He planned that good work and we simply walked in it. And then I'm like, can I see that envelope? Because I think we made a mistake. And she jumps back. And my staff and volunteers, they got this shocked look on their face. So I continue. Had we known this money was an answer to prayer, we would have given you a lot more money. Then all of us, staff and volunteers alike, everyone dug deep into their pockets and turned it into a sum that was worthy to be called an answer to prayer. And someone must have been cutting onions because all of our eyes were leaking at the thought of God's goodness. And years later, I had the honor of baptizing that very same student. 
Somehow God used a simple good work and a bunch of works after that to turn into something that was eternally beneficial and good for someone else. Never underestimate the power of even the smallest good work, even asking someone how you can pray for them. Can I help you carry that? If it's led by Jesus and if it's executed by him living in us and through us, not forced, natural. So look around the room again. Could there be someone here in our midst that's struggling to buy groceries? If there is, I got a hundred bucks ready for you. Is there someone in this room thinking of suicide? Talk to someone here, pray with us. Is there a marriage that's crumbling? Talk to someone. Is there a student navigating abuse or neglect? Is there someone wrestling with their faith on their last thread? There may be people here that are desperate for good works. So who's going to step up and provide those good works? That extra time, that extra effort, that extra money, that extra whatever. Because Ephesians 2.10 promises me that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk or roll or stroll in them. So can we stack up some good works towards our spouse this week? What does that look like? For me, it's bacon, hint, hint, Allison. For you, it might be me doing the dishes, I don't know. Can we stack up some good works for our children? I think a tub of ice cream would be a good work. Or just a walk with Abby with her dog walking business. Hint, hint. If anyone needs their dog walked. She's like, don't embarrass me, Dad. What could it look like in our homes if we started stacking up some good works then? And then what could it look like in public, at work, or kids, when our kids are going to school, at the gas station, wherever you find yourself and however God leads. And maybe you're kind of new to the faith and you're like, Paul, I'm struggling with this and I'm not as far along as you want me to be in this whole good work thing. And I promise you, if you're new, do not stress out. Invite Jesus into this. Philippians 1, 6 assures me of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Someone's working good works in you and that is someone, is Jesus. So have faith that he's doing that. You know, and you're not doing it on your own. God is conforming you to be more like Jesus. Romans 8, 29, it's a promise. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So I want you to just imagine for a second with me what the world would look like if every believer was rich in good works and acts of charity, if we were all equipped for good works, passionate for good works, zealous for good works, and devoted to good works, what would that look like at our workplaces, in our community, in our school? But most importantly, what would that look like in our home? My wife, as busy as she is, wants to help you with that. See, as the breadwinner of our family, she runs a ministry called Heroic Family Missions. The mission helps families grow stronger by doing missions together, by do, doing these good works together as God leads. And she's got a good work coming up in a few weeks. I want you to talk to Allison. She's got a town cleanup coming, and that's a really good work. You know, and some of the people involved in the town cleanup need Jesus, need salvation, and it's an opportunity to share the gospel, you know, with some of the people organizing and part of it.
And also, if, if you want to really beef up your family doing good works together or equip your children, she can provide tips, tools, and training for your family to embrace missions together, to increase good works both inside your home and around your community, and, and for your family to help people locally and abroad. And if you give Allison your number or email, she can keep you posted on some of these things. And if you want our family to pray for you, if you have any needs, we have a, a, a phone dedicated to prayer. Just give Allison your number and she'll text you from our prayer phone and you can text it 24-7 and we can pray for you. And it won't wake anyone up. So I'm just saying that. Allison wants to serve you and your family and it's part of her desire to do good works. And as a husband whose strength is less every month, I see Allison living this good works thing abundantly in my life. So I'm going to change the scripture up. I'm going to go to the Allison version. For she is his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that she should walk in them. And she's walking in them, I guarantee you, brothers and sisters. My children are walking in them and how they're helping. So I'll say for Abigail here, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you are walking in them, Abigail. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord God, flood this place with your presence. Flood this place with your people. Flood this place with your power. Flood this place with the pattern on your life. Lord God, we want to see this place flooded with good works and acts of charity, Lord God. So much so that no one in Stonewall, no one in Rockwood, and no one in Manitoba can deny the living Christ we need something supernatural. We need you to move in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, in our businesses, in our schools, and in our churches, Lord God. Move powerfully and be glorified and bring everyone to salvation, Lord God. Don't miss a soul in our midst, Lord God. Don't miss a soul that we talk to, Lord God, that we can all 500 years from now celebrate your love and your goodness and your faithfulness and your kindness. So thank you, Lord, that we can trust in you. I ask that it is not us who live, but that you live in us and through us, that we are crucified with Christ and that we find new life in you, new life where you're abiding in us and us abiding in you. Bless my brothers and sisters here. Thank you for all the ways they've shown your love to our family. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray and God's people said, amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters. It's an honor to be in your midst and to see how beautiful you are walking in the Lord.